0: Today, in Acts chapter 2, we want to talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Now, you don't have to have been a believer very long to know that this is a, a controversial passage, and yet we're not skipping it, because at McLean Bible Church, we don't skip passages of the Bible. We try to address them with forthrightness and with intellectual honesty, and with accuracy to the text as best we are able, and that's what we're going to try to do today. So, are you ready? And then we're going to talk about what difference all this makes to your life and my life today. So, here we go, a little bit of background. Remember in Acts chapter 1 that the Lord Jesus, after his resurrection, Stayed here on earth for 40 days, and during that time he taught the apostles, the Bible says, Acts one verse three, things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And then the risen Lord Jesus ascended back into heaven. And as Dale taught us last weekend, after this, the apostles, along with 120 or so other believers, stayed in Jerusalem, and they were uh, praying together and they were awaiting the coming of the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus had commanded them to do. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, the Bible says Jesus commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father for John the Baptist. Baptized with water, Jesus said, but you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit, not many days from now, and this happens here in Acts chapter 2. So, here we go, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Now, the holiday of Pentecost is the very same as the Jewish feast of Shavuot. Shavuot in Hebrew literally means weeks, W-E-E-K-S. And this holiday, this festival comes exactly seven weeks after the first day of Passover. So it's a week of weeks. You understand what I'm saying? Seven weeks, which is why it has this name. And in Greek, it's called Pentecost, which means 50th, because the holiday falls on the 50th day after the first day of Passover. Uh, According to Jewish tradition, this feast celebrates the day that Moses brought the Old Testament law down from Mount Sinai and handed it from God to the Jewish people. But more important for our purposes in Acts chapter 2, we need to know that Pentecost, Shavuot, was one of the three pilgrim festivals of the Jewish people, along with Passover. And Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. And what this means is that all Jewish men from all around the world were expected on these three days to make a pilgrimage to the temple in Jerusalem. And this explains why. In Acts chapter 2, verse 5, the Bible says, "...there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews," watch now, From every nation under heaven. Why was this, class? Because of what? Because it was Pentecost, right? Because it was Shavuot. Because it was a pilgrimage festival. Because people are supposed to come. Okay, all right. (laughs) Woo. Okay, verse 2, here we go. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind... And it filled the whole house where they, that is the apostles and these 120 believers, were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now here we have one of the most pivotal moments... In all the history of the church, this was the moment when God, if you'll permit me to say it this way, plugged in the church's power cord. Because anything and everything that God calls the church to do, anything and everything that God calls us as Christians to do, can only be done by the power and the might of the Holy Spirit working through us. This is why Zechariah says in chapter 4, verse 6, that it's not by human might, nor is it by human power, but it is, say the next three words, what? By my Spirit, says the Lord. Now, over the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, next week and the week after, and um, uh, the reason I'm doing this is because I think who the Holy Spirit is and what His work is here on earth is probably one of the least understood truths in all the Christian church. And so we're going to come back and talk about that. But for now, let's talk about what the Holy Spirit enabled these early Christians to do. Verse 4, and that is to speak in other tongues. Now the Greek word "glossa," which is translated here "tongues," is used a lot in the New Testament, and it's translated in two ways. Either number one, as a literal physical tongue, like the kind you got in your mouth. You know, James says the tongue is a restless evil, and nobody can tame it. What's he talking about? He talking about the tongue you got it in your mouth. Yeah. Okay. Now, the other thing is, by extension, this word is used for human language that the tongue obviously speaks. And here in Acts chapter 2, the word is clearly being used to describe spoken languages. Watch. Verse 5. And there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound... A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them, the Christians, they heard each one of them speaking in their own language, all of these pilgrims. Now, the Greek word here translated language in verse 6, in their own language, is the word dialectos. We get our English word dialect. Every one of these pilgrims heard these Christians speaking in their own local dialect, verse 7, and they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? That was not a compliment. What they were saying is these are uneducated men. They haven't been to college. They haven't been to graduate school. They haven't, you know, taken Rosetta Stone. They don't know how to speak all these languages. How do they know how to do this? And they went on to say, how is it that we hear them, each of us, in our own native languages? And then the Bible goes on to name 15 local dialects that they were hearing these Christians speak in. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, watch, we hear them telling in our own tongues, in our own local languages, the mighty works of God. Now folks, here in Acts chapter 2, we find in the only description in the Bible of the gift of tongues in actual operation. It's mentioned in other passages, but this is the only passage that actually describes its operation. And please notice that here in Acts chapter 2, it is intelligent, human, coherent speech. Fifteen different human dialects, all being fluently spoken by these Christians. And Acts chapter 2 is clear that this was a miraculous event, that these early Christians did not know these languages. They had not studied these languages. The Holy Spirit was enabling them miraculously and supernaturally to speak these languages. So, can we summarize? Okay. Based on the only detailed example we have in the Bible, here in Acts chapter 2, of the gift of tongues in actual operation, the gift of tongues should really be translated the gift of languages because it was the miraculous ability given to people directly by the Holy Spirit to speak in a previously unlearned human language. Now, do I need to repeat that, or we all got that? We got it? Okay, good. Now, you should know that there has been much linguistic research and analysis over the last, I would say, 50 years, done on what is taking place in churches and being called the gift of tongues. And according to this research, what is happening in churches today matches up with no known human language on the earth. The, the gold standard, there have been a number of studies, but the gold standard was a study done by Dr. William J. Samarin, professor of linguistics in, uh, at the University of Toronto. For 10 years, he did research going around and taping what was being called the gift of tongues in various denominations, and then analyzing them with human languages. His book is called Tongues of Men and Angels, and there are a lot of other studies confirming his work. You can Google it. But this is why, here at McLean Bible Church, that we in our services do not practice this, because we have serious doubts and concerns about it. Now don't get me wrong, we are not an anti-charismatic church. Some of my best friends and some of the best believers I know speak in tongues in their churches. And some of the best churches I know do this. We are not condemning them and we are not saying that, that, you know, anything's wrong with them. We are just saying that we don't let anything into this church unless we are confident from our point of view and our understanding of the Scripture, that it matches up with the Word of God, and we have concerns about this. Everybody got me? You with me? Okay. Now, you say, well, okay, but Lon, I've been told that there are two kinds of speaking in tongues. There's the one you're talking about here in Acts chapter 2, and maybe that's not around anymore, but I've also heard about a second kind of tongues, a private prayer language that enriches and empowers our prayer life, a heavenly, angelic language that God gives to some people, Allah, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, which says, though I speak with the tongues of men and what? Angels, but have not love. I have become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. What about this, Lon? Well, in my opinion, this is a misinterpretation and a misunderstanding of what the Apostle Paul is trying to say in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 13. I believe that Paul is using hyperbolic language here. He's using hyperbole. And he's saying, even if I could do something beyond, beyond, like, like speaking in the language of angels, which I'm not saying I can do, but even if I could, loving people is still more important. What's more, when we go through the New Testament, we find no example anywhere in Peter's life, in, in John's life, in the Apostle Paul's life, even in the Lord Jesus' life, of anyone praying in some kind of special prayer language. In fact, when the disciples in Luke 11, verse 1, came and said, Lord, teach us to pray, Jesus didn't teach them, nor did he even mention to them their need for some kind of heavenly prayer language. But rather, he taught them to pray intelligently and coherently in the language they understood. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, is it possible, in spite of all of this, that I'm wrong about this private prayer language? Yes, it's entirely possible I'm wrong. And folks... I never want to be in the position where I quench the Holy Spirit in our church, where I quench it in my life, or where I quench it in your life. And besides, God never called me to judge your prayer life. You understand? I got enough problems with my own prayer life. I have no business being out there judging your prayer life. So listen to me. Look at me. Look here. Whether I agree with it or not, And whether God's ever given me this private prayer language, which he hasn't, it doesn't matter if you believe God's given it to you and it helps in your prayer life, then let me say that's between you and God and you just keep on praying and praying and praying the way God leads you to. Are we good with that? we good with that? And folks, you don't have to agree with me on everything I've said here. I'm teaching you the Word of God to the best of my ability, as straightforwardly and honestly as I know how. But you need to be like the Berean Christians in Acts chapter 17 and take what I've taught you and take the Word of God and compare it to the Bible to see if those things are true. You understand me? I'm doing the best I can but you don't have to agree with me to be part of McLean Bible Church. Is that clear? You all right? This is not a cult. All right? We drink nothing purple here. Okay. We good? All right. However, let me say this just before we ask our most important question of the morning. If you do not have a prayer life, that is as powerful as you want it to be, I'm here to tell you the solution is not to ask God to give you some private prayer language. Friends, you want a powerful prayer life? Let me tell you how we get that. We get it by returning to our first love, the Lord Jesus in our heart. We get it by cleaning up the sin in our life. We get it by exhibiting a new wave of humility and a new obedience to God in our life. This is what makes prayer powerful, obedience, humility, love for Christ, purity of life. So if you want a better prayer life, those are the things you and I need to focus on. Are we clear? All right, good. Now, it's time for us to ask our most important question. So, are you ready? Everybody at our campus is ready? All right, nice and loud now. Come on. One, two, three. Oh, how sweet it is. Yeah. You know, um, last week, Dale did a wonderful job of preaching. I loved his sermon. Really spoke to my heart. And one of the things that he said in his sermon is that whenever we approach a passage of scripture, we should always ask the question, what do I learn about God in these verses? And so, let's answer that question regarding our verses from today, shall we? Okay, now I wonder how many of you have ever heard the term lingua franca. Lingua franca refers to a language that people use to carry on commerce and trade internationally, even though it's not their native language. Now, today, the lingua franca of the world is what? English. That's exactly right. But how about two or 3,000 years ago? Well, from 1200 B.C. to 750 B.C., the lingua franca in the Middle East and around the Mediterranean world was Acadian the language of the Assyrian Empire. It was written in wedge shapes on clay tablets. Let me show you a picture of an Akkadian tablet. And this is what you learned in high school as cuneiform. Remember high school? Anybody? Okay, this is cuneiform. That was the lingua franca. Then in uh, 750 B.C. till 325 B.C., it changed... uh, to Aramaic, the language of the Babylonian Empire under our good friend King Nebuchadnezzar. I'll show you a picture of ancient Aramaic written on some parchment. And then finally in 325 B.C., all the way up to 400 A.D., as a result of Alexander the Great conquering most of the known world there between the years of 332 and 323 B.C., the lingua franca became the language of Alexander. What language did he speak? He spoke Greek, because where was he from? He, he obviously, he's from Greece. Okay, good. He was from Macedonia. Yes, he was from Macedonia, and he spoke Greek. And therefore, at the time of Jesus, at the time of Acts chapter 2, at the time of the Apostles, the lingua franca of the day was the Greek language. Like, Lon, what are you talking about up there? Okay, I'm going somewhere. I'm going somewhere. But don't forget that in all of this, none of this means that people all over the world didn't have their own local dialects, all right? They did, and they were far more attuned to their native languages than they were to Greek. So look what God did here in Acts chapter 2, verse 6. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Look, because, why did they come together? Because each one heard them, the early Christians speaking, in next three words, his own language, his own dialect. This is why the crowd gathered in Acts chapter 2. Now, do you think... That if Peter and the apostles had been, and they all spoke Greek, if you think they, uh, you think that if they would have stood up somewhere near the temple and just all started talking in Greek, they would have attracted a crowd. Do you think that? Well, if you do, you're wrong. They wouldn't have. Nobody would have paid much attention to that. What attracted the crowd is the 15 different local dialects. These folks were all supernaturally speaking. And why did God want to attract a crowd? Because what does Peter do with the crowd in the rest of Acts chapter 2? What does he do? He preaches the gospel. He preaches Christ to these people. Now, do we all see this? Okay, good. Because this tells us something very important about God. It tells us how much God loves lost people. God loved these pilgrims in Jerusalem so much that he went to all this extra trouble of giving these early Christians the ability to miraculously speak in all of these pilgrims' native dialects. Why? So that God could attract a crowd. Why? So that Peter could preach Christ to them. Why? So that 3,000 of them could come Christ. Praise the Lord. Now, if God loves lost people this much, that he went to all this trouble to get them together, then friends, I need to love lost people the same way. And that's the whole point here, is we see the love of God displayed for people who don't know Christ, that he would go to the extra trouble that was involved here to reach them. Are y'all with me? You know, this past weekend, Brendan and I, as I said, were in California and we were flying back on Monday. And uh, guess who was on the airplane? Jack McCoy was on the airplane. You know Law and Order? What's wrong with you people? You know Law and Order, yeah? Yeah, Jack McCoy was on the airplane. So we're getting off at Reagan here. And he was walking just a little bit ahead of me down the corridor, and I, I was thinking, hmm, 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 you know what, folks, but it was late at night when we got in. I was tired. We'd been flying all day. We had luggage to go get, and I had my little four-year-old granddaughter Natalie with us that we had taken, and she was moving at glacial speed. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm like, "Oh no." And I said, "And besides, if I go up there and try to talk to him, he's probably just going to tell me to go jump in the lake anyway. And so I'm arguing with God, and I'm saying, "God, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, it's just too much trouble. That's all. It's just too much trouble to catch up with Him." And the Spirit of God said to me, "Trouble. Too much trouble. Are you serious? Are you serious?" Do you know how much trouble I went to to reach you? (laughs) I sent Bob Eckhart, a street preacher, to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, every Saturday for six months to reach you. And I had the believers in Acts chapter 2 speak in 15 different languages to reach those pilgrims in Jerusalem. By the way, you're going to preach on that passage this week, son. And I did this because I love lost people. And I did this because I care about their lost estate. And I care about Jack McCoy. Sam Waterston. I know his real name. So I said, yeah, okay. And I hurried up and walked up to him. And I said, hey, Jack McCoy. (laughs) What kind of idiot does that? (laughs) I'm like, I... Like yeah, he turned around. I said, you know what? I mean, you, I was like a blubbering idiot. I was like, we love Law and Order. We watch it all the time. I, I even know some of your lines by heart. And and I and he was like, and and what do you want? I'm like, oh no, listen. I gave him a you know the card with my testimony on it, the little blue thing. And I said, this uh, on this card, you'll find my story of how I came to believe in Jesus as a Jewish person and how he completely changed my life and my eternal destiny and wants to do that for you. And he said, where will I find it? And I said, well, all you do is turn on the back. And the URL address is on the back. And, and I'm talking as fast as I can. And, 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 and it's in English. And, you know, you can listen to it. <laughs> and he said, okay. And we talked for another couple minutes. He was very nice. And he said, you know what? He said, I really appreciate you catching up and talking with me. He said, you have my promise. I'm going to listen to this. And then he stuck his hand out to shake my hand and said, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so so much. And I was like, wow. (laughs) Folks, I want you to pray for Sam Waterston. Will you do that? that he comes to Christ. How weird would that be for him to say I was on his airplane this idiot Jewish guy comes up to me. (laughs) And that's how I came to Christ. Look, it doesn't matter whether the person's famous or whether they're not famous. The only thing that matters is anybody that doesn't know Jesus needs a fighting chance. And the only way they get that fighting chance is if you and I slow down long enough and take the trouble to go and try to bring Christ to them. That's what God did in Acts chapter 2, and that's what God wants you and me to do. May I say in closing that, my friend, if you're a born-again follower of Christ today, God went to a lot of trouble to get you there. Even if it's as simple as placing you in a Christ-loving family growing up so you heard the gospel early, you don't think that's by accident, do you? God went to the trouble of putting you in that family. And for some of us, like me, God went to a whole lot more trouble to reach us. The question is why, and the answer is because God loves lost people. That's why He loved you when you were lost. If you're here today and you're lost and you don't know Christ, He loves you. He sent you here today to hear what I'm telling you. And listen, folks... This is my dream for us as a church, is that we be the kind of church that loves lost people. That we be the kind of church who will slow down and who will take time and who will go to extra trouble to go and care about lost people. That's a church that has the heart of God. And that's the kind of church I want us to be. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, many of us here are praying for mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, neighbors, co workers, friends. Many of us here have been trying to reach them for you. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our resolve today, that what we're doing in doing this is utterly and totally in keeping with the heart of God. And Lord, Give us the perseverance we need to keep going on and not to give up. And Lord, I also pray for us, even with strangers or with acquaintances, God, if we're walking out of our house to a business meeting, if we're walking out of our house to a presentation, remind us when we walk out that the most important thing that day is not that meeting. It is the souls that we're going to brush by. And their need for Christ. That is the main thing. And help us keep the main thing the main thing. And God, make us a church family. I beg you, I pray. Make me an individual believer who loves lost people the way you love lost people. And God, forgive me for being in such a hurry so many times that I don't slow down, that I don't take the extra trouble. Lord, forgive all of us for that. Change us because we were here today and we sat under the teaching of the living Word of God. Lord, thanks for talking to us today. This week, this week, may we live differently because we were here. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And what did God's people say? Amen.